back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Uh, but before we get started, just want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Ping Pong Payments. What is Ping Pong Payments? Well, I'm glad you asked that we are a cross-border payment solution helping sellers save more of their time, money, and effort when it comes to sending or receiving funds. So if you're paying your suppliers, your manufacturers, your VAs overseas, um, want to get money to them quicker so you can get your goods quicker or just help your employees get paid on time without paying those exorbitant fees, make sure you check out a solution like Ping Pong Payments. You can do that by going to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast to catch all of our past episodes, but also sign up for free. It's free to save money today. And who doesn't want to save some money when it comes to sending or receiving their payments and also putting those funds back to their bottom line? So if you're a seller of any sort of large or small scale, you can save today and use those funds to invest more into your business and buy more inventory or even have help your way along to exiting your brand. So that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. So again, check out pingpongpayments.com um, in the links below or go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. Um, this is episode 202. Thank you for joining again. This is season four. I've already done We've just started season four here last week uh, before we capped off our uh, 200th episode and season three um, late into December. So we're starting fresh into 2022. It already feels like it's been a long week. So we're going to go ahead and get kick started with some great content this week. We have three episodes coming. So if you're watching us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, thanks for joining us uh, for the first time or the 202nd time. We appreciate you just tuning in whatever you are available. Uh, able to. And if you happen to not be able to catch every episode, you can just go to our website or you can go and find Crossover Commerce on your favorite podcast destination. That being said, do you want to go ahead and kick off with one of the cooler uh, companies that I haven't had on in a while, believe it or not. It's actually been one of the first 25 episodes that we had in season one, back when they were known as a different name, Recon Brands. If you're thinking about who's Recon Brands, maybe you just forgot all about them. They've actually became Elevate Brands, one of the larger acquisition companies in the Amazon space today in terms of raising funds, uh, acquiring different brands, and just growing like crazy. Based in Austin, Texas, as well as New York City, uh, in New York, um, all over the world, they're growing like crazy. And we're going to be talking about what we saw in 2021 uh, and also kind of looking forward to 2022 trends. So that's what today's episode is about. But uh, actually can have him on the podcast for the first time. It's been a long time since I've been wanting to get him on the podcast, but really excited to have on the director of global partnerships, TJ Highland of uh, Elevate Brands. TJ, let me go ahead and bring you on today. Thank you for joining us on Crossover Commerce Day. Thanks, Ryan. How are you? Man, I'm doing well. It's uh, week two of 2022. And a lot, lot of twos going on today. Two, I was going to say episode, episode 202. 202 in 2022. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. a rap or there's a lot of rhyming. There's a lot of rap or rhyming yeah. in there. Exactly. I'm not I'm not awake enough. It feels like already one o'clock on East time uh, <laughs> when we're doing this. Not awake enough to come up with something creative like that. But anyways, thank you for uh, spending some time today. Uh, man, we, we actually intersected a lot uh, for people who, who may not know and they should. Uh, your background or what you did and your past and what you do now. Uh, give me a quick uh, minute or so background of you and your history in the space. Sure. So, so when you were talking about ping pong cross border payments, I was having a bit of flashback there. So PTSD. My, yeah, exactly. Uh, my background is I've been in the the Amazon ecosystem since 2014. I uh, worked at two previous companies in the in the global payment space. 
uh, world first and pioneer. So, you know, similar to, to Ping Pong in the sense of helping sellers who are selling cross border uh, with bringing your funds back at, and then also making those payments out to suppliers and stuff like that. Um, at Payoneer, I was the head of partnerships there, um, kind of connecting the ecosystem, right? And and that's what's what's crucial here. And and what you know Ryan's doing with Ping Pong is you know making the connection for sellers, where you know payments is not always something that you think about at the forefront, but it's a crucial part of the business, especially when in the e-commerce world where every dollar counts and and such cash flow uh, heavy businesses. So you know. In August of this year, about five and a bit year, months ago, uh, I moved over to Elevate Brands. Um, so here too, I'm looking after partnerships um, and it's it's fun, it's different, it's exciting. You know, we talk about the aggregator space and, you know, everything that's going on. And I think we're going to dive a little bit later, but, you know, same concept in the sense of connecting sellers with service providers, service providers with sellers, networks with people and people with networks and it's like, everything coming together and I, you know it's it's been really fun at at elevate because they never really had somebody in this in this role before um and and to me it's a it's a crucial role um it's a it's a one-to-many role but it's a how do you get in front of as many people uh in the right place in the right time with the right people and their platform uh so again thank you for having me ryan yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you're obviously tugging on my heartstrings is what I do very similar to here at Ping Pong. Um, a lot of people don't think about that. And I think it's kind of one of those missed ecosystems. Not If I'm an entrepreneur, for example, and I'm working on a scale, not even a service provider, and I'm talking about partnerships, it could be something in the likes of software. It could be the likes of uh, shipping logistics. It could be the likes of lots of different ways in which your company needs to partner and either rely on an external extension of you um, on your company. And there's a lot of different businesses like ours, uh, where we provide services or run brands or whatever that might be, the kind of the glue that holds everything together between the sales, the marketing, the business development, whatever that might be is the partnership world. So you've had that your experience in in this space for a long time. Do you feel more of it's like a, a networker and kind of a hey, you should talk to this person kind of making that those connections happen is is that what you love so much about the role yeah i mean it, it it's a people person role right you have to be able to to know who you know and and know who's good at what right when when i was on the service provider side it was very much of aligning myself and aligning our business with the businesses that we worked well with that had um sort of a, a common guiding light to to get to the end and ultimately that is supporting sellers in in their mission to to grow their business and then you know, nowadays you talk about exiting your business, but back then you didn't even really have that option. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, a, a vetted voice, right? So the the way that I think about partnerships are relationships. Um, you know, I have a relationship with this service provider who does shipping, right? You as a seller have been working with me for, for three years. You trust me. You trust my beliefs and, and who I've worked with. And, you know, from that perspective, it's, a vetted voice. You you have the opportunity to go speak with 150 different shipping and logistics companies. Who has time to do that? So referrals are are the ultimate sign of respect. I feel so when somebody can say, "I've worked with these people. They are good. They'll do good by you." You know that's the ultimate re respect to receive one, and then also to give one. Right? It's like I've recognized that you are good at your job, and your company is great. And now you know I want to pass business to you. The other side of it is. You know, now I'm not on the service provider side anymore, but more on the quote seller side, right? Like we 
we use a lot of these service providers. So it's kind of riding the line of, you know, who do we use as a, as a solution and who, who else can we explore, explore working with um, and which part of the businesses need some external help versus internal help. So it's, it's a fun game of, of matching things up like that and, and experimenting, right? That's, that's one of our, our big MOs is, is to, to experiment. And if you're going to fail, fail fast and, and get on to the next thing, which is, you know, really focusing on the growth side. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. Do you find it? And I know if I had to put myself in your shoes uh, from a service provider, obviously you can partner with lots of different people and they can be in that same category, for example. But if you're an operator, very similar to what Elevate does, you may not get a chance to spread the love as much. Do you find it more difficult to have to actually dive in the weeds, maybe on not your level, but us as a company of like, hey, there's lots of great options. Who do we pick? Because you, you can't have that you can't spread the love with shipping logistics too terribly much, I'm assuming, or you can't, you can't use every single software solution just that doesn't make financial right. sense. So it's who do you pick and what do you decide to go with? Does that make it a little bit more of a harder decision in which, Hey, these are our trusted, we actually use these companies in that capacity, or is it a little bit more different than that? It makes my job a little bit more difficult, right? Because I have the relationship with, if you say like PPC agencies with the softwares, and with the agencies and there's five softwares and there's five agencies we can't use all 10 of them but all mm -hmm. 10 of them want to you know elevate to use their business right so it's about maintaining those relationships and you know i can speak to my experience and in the past i've worked with people at this business or in the past i've worked with them and i know that they they would do a good job but the thing is it's it's spreading the love right and and i think we talk about this in in the aggregator circle enough like i don't necessarily really consider a lot of the aggregators as competitors, right? I think we may compete on certain listings, certain categories, certain keywords, but in reality, there's plenty of pie to go around, right? We're going to compete on deals and, you know, this brand is going to be talking to X company and Y company and us, and, you know, that might drive the price up and benefit the seller, but, you know, we're not really competitors in, in the long scheme of things. And, you know, ultimately for, for most of the aggregators, like we, we want them to be successful, right? Like it's, I think there's enough pie uh, big enough pie, I should say, for for everyone to to win here, and and sellers included. Sellers are the biggest winner here. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and you, that's a good segue into what I think 2021 showed us is there's a couple different things I would point out. And if you've been living under a rock for a year, uh, <laughs> congratulations, you've skipped a lot uh, in the space. But if you're new to e-commerce or if you just came into the space, you probably heard a lot of the numbers of raises and capital raises and uh, all these companies coming out of essentially nowhere, but they're building brands and they're having all these opportunities to operate on a grander scale. I say grander scale because uh, with more money comes capability, right? Uh, if I'm a person who is a team of three, I can only scale so much in terms of right. logistics and, and growth and sales and whatnot. Um, but in the use of an aggregator space or a brand aggregator like you guys at Elevate, there's the opportunity of doing it on a grander scale, but then rewarding the person for starting that business or brand and kind of seeing it through to the end. So when you were potentially looking around at which aggregator you want to look at, why, why elevate, like when, what makes elevate special and different in your eyes, as opposed to others that might be out there, what, what's that distinguishing factor? Yeah. I think from a seller perspective, you want to always feel 
comfortable with who you're doing business with. And I think it comes back to the relationship side of things, right? You want to be with, with someone who's, who's maybe been in your shoes or you can know and you can trust. And I think that's one of the main differentiators about Elevate is Ryan and James, the two co-founders who I think have been on Crossover Commerce, like you said, episode 25 or whatever that was, you know, they started as sellers themselves, right? So they started selling in 2016, 17. Um, they did retail arbitrage. We're selling a very They're selling well-known Nike shoes, weren't they? Or something Nike like and Adidas yeah. shoes. Yeah. And, you know, they grew it into a pretty significant business, but then ultimately it's a reseller business. You don't really have any asset to sell. Uh, so in the end of 2019, they pivoted and, and got into the, the aggregator space and, and recon brands, which it was, as you mentioned, became Elevate Brands, right? And, and that's where we sit today. Um, sort of why Elevate is a, is a great question. And, and ultimately, you know, from a seller perspective, there's a couple of things that you can, should consider. One is the structure uh, that you want, right? Do you want 100% acquisition and you hang up your coat and you go sit on the beach with your money, find cool, no more worries for you? Or, or do you still want to be involved? Um, you know, we are probably one of the only aggregators that does partnerships and joint ventures. Um, you know, speaking with a lot of the larger sellers nowadays, they're not they're not ready to hang it up yet. You know, they they still think that their business and their brand has a ton of potential. And for us, it's exciting, right? If they come to us and say, we want to do a joint venture, we want to do a partnership, we want to take some cash off the table, but we still think that with Elevate coupled with our expertise we can now grow this business from a 5 million EBITDA business to a 15, to a 20, to a 50, right? Uh, they might cap out at their capabilities, but the brand they know still has a ton of potential. So we do partnerships like that. We do joint ventures. We do situations where um, we'll acquire the team and the owner can go, you know, do whatever they want. They're out of the business. But, you know, that's a big consideration for a lot of sellers is I have a team of 5, 10, 15 people like, what are they going to do? I don't want to put 15 people out of a job just because I wanted to get a payday. So we've had an example of a deal we closed a, a couple of months ago where the owner actually left, um, but 13 of their team members actually joined our business and are now full Elevate employees. So it's kind of like that aqua hire situation. And then the last part is just on you know flexibility. Um, it's on deal structure. We we're talking about that. You know, there's the partnership acquisition, 100% uh, acquisition. But also on the payout side, right? You know, if you wanted cash, if you wanted the earnouts, if you wanted equity and elevate, you know, in certain situations, like when we talk a lot about those partnerships, it's, you know, we, we offer equity in, in the elevate parent company, right? Because you're no longer working really for yourself. You're working for the greater company. You want to focus on growing your business, but you also want to have a leg in um, to the, the greater business goals. Um, and, and that's actually the, one of the great parts about elevate is, every employee has equity as well, right? So you're not just clocking in, clocking out, doing your job. You know, we, while we've raised a significant amount of money, we're still in theory uh, a hyper growing or hyper fast growing um, startup, right? You know, there's still a ton of things changing and roles changing and jobs, descriptions being added and added and added. And, you know, having equity like that from an, any level of employee perspective or from a business that exits, you know, it's, it's some kind of extra kicker for you. Well, you, you had mentioned some, something that I've heard not very much of, to be honest. And, and that's in the capacity of evolving the structure of which 
people want to either leave their business or have a mark in the in the space, right? They don't, it's no longer just a clean cut. It feels like it seems that there's this partnership. I like the partnership aspect of right. if they want to stay on, it's it's just it's just thinking outside the box of how do you how does everyone win in that capacity? So do you do you see yourself as more than just like there I, I have this feeling that 2022 is gonna bring a new phrase or a new like word for what businesses are. It's not aggregators anymore because that's just the acquisition of like assets, right? It's it's a very clean and simple cut cut and dry definition. This is more of a collaborative partnership or a um, mm-hmm. more like an accelerator, not an accelerator because that's a different business model, but almost like a, um, you know, cultivation of brands and growth of brands from conception all the way to maybe it is to portfolio yeah. or private equity or what it is down the line or if Elvig goes public. And again, we're not going to go down that, that road either, but it, it seems like that this concept of different partnerships, does that make it even more exciting or should that make it more exciting for brands out there to, to understand and be educated that, Hey, it's not just a cut and dry scenario of you're leaving your business behind that. You put your blood, sweat and tears. It's now a, Hey, I found a growth partner in a business that understands my vision. We can work together to eventually, maybe I do leave it in a good hands of them, or I think that there's more potential and I want to see it through. Yeah. Um, when I was at Payoneer previously, I hosted a roundtable of what we now are openly calling aggregators. And I'll tell you in the, in the previous call before the webinar that we did, nobody wanted to be called an aggregator. They all came up with it. I want, I'm an operator, I'm an accelerator, I'm a this, I'm a that, like a lot of the names you just said. And I think aggregators has kind of just stuck because it's maybe the easiest thing to just name them, but I'm hundred percent on the same boat as you is like, and I, and I think that's kind of what really differentiates a, a lot of the quote aggregators is a lot of them do business differently. While we're all buying these Amazon businesses, ha- post day one, everyone kind of has a little bit of a different strategy in terms of how they want to get this business to the next level. Um, whether it is like as a conglomerate or whether it is, you know, individual businesses and scaling, you know, 100 businesses or, or focusing on 10 big ones or however it is. You know, I think what you said about a growth partner is, is, is spot on, right? Like we, we have the abilities to help these businesses scale and, and that's, you know, growing a business from one to 5 million hard, but, e- but easy in the grand scheme of things, growing it another five X from 5 million to 25 million, a lot harder on your own, especially with, you know, what we know of capital constraints and just resources, right? You can do one to 5 million, maybe by yourself, a couple of VAs, you can't really get the 25 million EBITDA business um, with a with a small team, like just the in terms of the the product that you need to to turn over to get there is is significant. Um, so yeah, I think viewing what what we now call aggregators generally as as growth partners and and more specifically elevate in the way a lot of the structures that we're doing uh, it is really accurate. Absolutely. What about, um, so in 2021, that's where a lot of people understood, like, I think the statistic is pretty notorious of there's a billion dollar raised in every single, I say raised, uh, it was, it was announced by companies every month for the entire, you know, year, I think 12 to 13 was the official number that mm-hmm. in 2021 entered in your estimation as uh, obviously you can't predict, but do you think that continues to grow or do you think it levels off and slows down? Is there, is this just a B 
beginning ripple for you or is there a bigger wave coming in that capacity if you had to guess because you're from the financial world obviously starts with a, a trickling effect and you see one and then you see 10 and then you see 50 is this did it do we do we hit our peak and then we're coming back down to earth or are we are we still riding that rocket ship do you think it's a really interesting question right you know there there's the biggest player in the space making the biggest waves and everyone kind of benefits off that but at a certain point their valuation becomes a certain number and and are they can are they still growing right um and is that value still increasing um and i think it is right um i think probably for the first half of this year we'll still see some significant raises you know we've only raised up to series b to date um and i know like we have grander growth plans right so whatever's next coming is is coming and i don't think we're alone i saw on linkedin just before we uh popped on that another company raised 113 million dollars right you know i think i think in general what we'll see by the end of the year is a bit of consolidation um i think it's just inevitable um there's way too many aggregators um and i think what we kind of need to do is see what is out there um, from an aggregator perspective, from a brand perspective, like what you're the the amounts being paid now are are significant, right? And and now we're getting to sort of a next level of businesses that are out there where the payouts are going to be even higher, right? So to do that, you need to raise more money. But again, you know, a lot of times when you're raising debt and equity, or more on the debt side, you need to the growth right uh, and and have the growth plan and have the potential that's why i think from an elevate perspective we've probably been a bit conservative uh in 2021 you know we acquired 20 something 25 to 26 brands uh in the calendar year you know, i think on the smaller side in in january last year you know the businesses were you know valued under a million dollars and you know closed the year paying out 20 million something Right. So, you know, we've we've acquired business, larger businesses as we've grown. So we didn't try and get ahead of ourselves and, and take on too much. And I think that's really benefited us to date and, and will in the future. Right. Growing at, a, at our pace um, and not just doing the big cash grab and acquiring as many businesses as possible. Um, just doing the compliance and the due diligence and being really strategic about who we're uh, buying. Uh, so that we know that we can grow that business, whether with the original entrepreneur or not, is just going to set us up for for longevity. And I know you talked on or touched on, um, you know, what our growth plans, exit plans are, and you know, it's not dissimilar to some of the other players in the space, right? You know, whether we do get acquired or whether we go public, like all these things are are on the table. Options are always nice to have, so it's yeah. never a bad thing to like corner yourself into a market and have to find that one person, but. Is it is it fair to say? And I I think I think it. I have my own personal opinion about this notion that aggregators have made it harder, or brand acquisition companies. We're going to come up with a, uh, a title here on this podcast and <laughs> this episode. Uh, whatever is it is it fair to put blame on companies that are acquiring brands at scale that costs are rising across the board on Amazon, whether it be operations and costs for PBC clicks or just. I, I, I see no similarity to logistics. I only see it on the cost of um, advertising in terms of PPC or standing out on Amazon. Is that a fair assessment that people can put on 
people who are acquiring larger brands because I have my own opinion, but I would like to hear from you of when people say that, what, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, my initial thought is no. Um, if you think about the number of brands that have been acquired, you know, since aggregators came about, whenever that is, say, you know, two and a half, three years, like maybe it's a thousand brands, maybe, maybe it's 500 or, or, you know, the high hundreds number of brands, at least from a U.S. perspective. How many sellers are there on Amazon? Over, over a million, right? So yes, the spend might be different uh, from a, a larger brand or, or an aggregator in that sense. But like when, when you look at the, the entire picture and the entire scheme of things, um, it, it is not that impressionable, I don't think. Um, I think it also will, yeah, aggregators, I think, and obviously I'm sitting here at, at one, so I have a little bit of bias, but I think they're very good for the industry as a whole, right? Um, from, a, from a product perspective, from a SaaS software perspective, from a solution perspective, like the, all of the best softwares that are on the table today were created by sellers themselves, right? And, and I think that that's pretty evident that they saw a, a problem, a gap, a need in the space and said, nobody's doing this. I can build it. I can use this tool for myself. And then what they do is they realize, hey, everyone can actually use this. And it's not really a leg up advantage. It's more like democratizing the opportunity. And I think that's really what aggregators are doing here too, is like across all the softwares and all the solutions to, to have something to build at scale. If you wanted to still do your business and, and scale it on your own, you know, you're gonna benefit from the changes that a lot of these SaaS, logistics, whatever companies are you know, making for the aggregators or creating for the aggregators and, and benefiting from that in, in the long run. But interested to, to hear your take on it too. No, I think, uh, I hate broad stroke uh uh commentary of and the reason i say that is because on social media it's very easy to assert an opinion not back it up with any sort of factual evidence and then and and just kind of get people behind you it, it's an easy assessment to kind of correlate oh things got a lot more expensive or the shipping logistics problem happened when a lot more aggregators came in space that's not that's not true that's that's simply not true there's there's too many there's clearly more evidence of it's just manpower shortage and everything like that. Um, right. But when it comes back to cost, um, it's not like you are spending a million dollar budget on a coffee mug uh, PPC spend. That's just not the case. I think the case is, is that time over time in Amazon costs have got increasingly rised and Amazon continues to rise their costs, uh, raise their costs across the board. And I think, gosh, even brands, I think associated with, it was a recent report back of 2021 of, there is something around 30 to 34% of costs are all going directly to Amazon. And, that, and that's just like referral fees, that's storage fees, that's everything like that. Um, Amazon didn't call PPC a necessary spend as a add-on option of doing that. But we all know as brand owners, you kind of need PPC to stand out in the capacity of if you're launching a product or you want to keep it at top of mind and, and take over certain categories. So I, I think that's an unfair assessment to say, just because of more people entering the space and having money at their their capability, it's all going to go directly to PPC. I think it just has to be how do you, how do you get smarter about your spend and um, how to you utilize your dollars and stretch a little bit differently. Um, but again, that that's just my take. I 
I wish I had more factual evidence to back that up, but I, I can't imagine that just because there's billion dollar entities that enter the market again as a collective whole, people can do that at scale as well. And if they're collectively doing that, they're going to be doing the same spend as well to, to grow their brands. You're just doing it on a faster pace. So th that, that's kind of yeah. my initial thoughts as well. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on, right? Like in terms of there's in the last calendar year, how many significant changes uh, on the Amazon platform have there been for sellers, right? And we talk about start trying buy and, and, and review manipulation, all that, like people that maybe had done that stuff in the past uh, to launch products are now realizing, hey, I need to do actual PPC to launch products and realizing the cost of that compared to the cost of the previous option. Similarly, you touched on like logistics and freight, right? Um, I think that's coming from China. I think that's coming from, you know, California and, and the shortages there and staff, right? And like, and your, your container costs now being 20K versus two and a half K or three K like, yeah, that's obviously going to affect your margins and that's going to affect your business. But that neither of those things are, are the direct results of an aggregator. Right. I'm going to, I'm just put that to bed. I don't think that's a fair assessment for people to say it. Um, I'm going to run the back same up. side of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, again, costs are in the value of the, like the, if there's a blame to be again, it's just because there's more shop again, it's more shopping. There's more eyeballs in the nature. It's going to drive up costs and inherently it, it's, it's hard to educate economics in terms of, uh, supply and demand and, when there's more, yeah. when there's no more demand, that's when and your supply is at shortage. That's when costs go up, and that's that's inherently what is happening right in front of us. Um, we actually had a question come in, TJ. Um, this Ooh. this is good for you from Chris Schultz, um, on LinkedIn. Uh, Chris asked, "What categories are you focusing on um, there? At Elevate?" And that's a great question, Chris. Are you, is Elevate known as an agnostic aggregator, or are they known as more of a uh, specific category? acquire or you will only look at certain categories as many as some are out there are yeah so from our perspective we are category agnostic we we stay away from you know ones that may be very opinion based um like fashion um high skew count <laughs> as well um but generally i think we, you know we we currently sit in 10 plus categories um uh, across our 30 something brands so we're pretty agnostic in, in that sense. You know, what I would say about the category is the niche, the better, the, you know, the more obscure the niche is, is, is better, right? Um, the, the place that you can stand out the most, um, it adds the most value to your business. Uh, categories that we do sit in and, and that we do, uh, like, um, outdoors, pets, um, some, sometimes in the, the baby space. So, you know, not that we're only looking at those, but those are ones that, you know, we've acquired that, that we like, that we've done well in. And, you know, when new brands come to market, it says, you know, this one's in the pet space and you look around and you say, well, does this one complement the one we already have? Yes, that makes it sort of extra incentive for us to, to go after something like that. Makes sense. Yeah. And, and that, I think those are very, very popular categories too. So there's lots of, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, purchases being happening in those. And those are very, very not green, but very rich spaces to be in too. Is it, has there been a brand that 
So I, I guess like I also asked the opportunity of is there a minimum that if I'm if I'm an aggregator or if I'm a brand, is there a minimum or is there a set of requirements that I should be inherently like fixed on? Like, is there a certain dollar amount that I need to be like discretionary earnings um, at the end of the year? What, what do I need to have in place and ready if I'm going to be acquired by Elevate Brands? Yeah. So from our perspective, um, like I said earlier, we kind of, you know, a year ago we were buying smaller businesses, but as we've scaled, we have the ability to buy the larger businesses. Um, I would say from a minimum perspective, we're looking at businesses doing a, a seller's discretionary earnings of around a million dollars uh, a year, uh, but there's no there's no real cap on that, right? So if a business is doing five, 10, 15, you know, we're, we're obviously interested in, in those as well. And, the, and not to be said, if, it, if you're doing under a million dollars, if you're doing 600K or 800K or whatever it is, but on a really great growth path with a solid product and not too complicated and all that, like, but that that's interesting to us as well. So, you know, we're, we're not really saying no to everyone. And we have a team here that sort of evaluates the brands when they come in and, and can give you feedback as well, right? So if you say, you know, what do you think my business is worth? Do you like my business? Do you have any feedback? You know, we'll be able to look at that from a high level, depending on whatever information you want to share and give you feedback and say, today on the market, you should be able to get this, even if it's not by us. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty open and transparent in, in those conversations too. Do you feel like that there is a, <clears throat> a more of an emphasis on those minimum qualities instead of a, a potential of a product that just hasn't gotten there yet? Like what I mean by is it needs a little bit of coaching. It needs a little bit of, um, it needs a little bit of love or it needs some financial backing in order to get it where it could be taking almost more risk. I would say risky from the investment standpoint, but the product is so good. It just hasn't gotten there from said founder yet. Is that, is that where a market do you think that's going to be a little bit more inherently risky of, Hey, we can't go after the top person in the baby toy category anymore because they get hit up by everyone or they sold and that, that will continuously be there more often than not, maybe it's shooting for the middle and finding those high value brands that have really great ideas. They just don't know how to take it to the next level and going to a person like elevate, elevating that, that brand to another level and everyone wins in that capacity. Is that where you think the market continues to look forward in 2022? Yeah, hundred percent. The, the more brandable the business is, um, the the more opportunity there is the more attractive it is for, for us to to look towards and you're right you know if, if you say toys right like i'm sure the the, the top five guys or 10 people in toys are, are hit up every day by 100 different um aggregators right so do you then look a little bit down the page maybe page two right because no one goes to page two <laughs> and you say okay based on these keywords in these categories you know how does this product rank with a, what we already have, B, what we're targeting, B, what might be of interest to, to us in the future. And could we take this business that may be doing just a million or just 800K, which is still a significant business, and say, you know, can we pump cash into this, put investment into it uh, from a resources perspective and turn it into one of those top guys on the, on the page? Um, yes, the short answer is yes, right? Like, you uh, in reality you know if you're going to be paying seven eight 
X multiple for, for these businesses, which a lot of the larger ones are, are asking for, you know, from an investment perspective to make that back it is going to take a long time uh, and be pretty difficult, right? And if you're already in the high performing business, you know, already the, the category leader, you know, how much can you actually grow that business? And when we look at businesses, we look for those opportunities, whether it's under optimized and we can figure that out or, you know, they need slightly, they have a great product, but need better branding or you need to expand it to, to new markets, whether that's you know, Walmart or D2C or international or whatever it is, you know, all those are opportunities and levers for us to do it. The odds are that that category leader, that number one pole position person has already pulled a lot of those levers, right? Because they've already right. gotten to that position. Whereas High floor, like the, low ceiling the companies. Down, down the page a bit, you know, there's a ton of opportunity for us, right? And whether that's just the seller, the original brand owner or seller doesn't want to do it or just doesn't have the means or the capacity to do it, you know, those are all things that are, are good for us and, and indications for us of, of an opportunity that we're interested in. Absolutely. Yeah, high floor, like I was saying earlier, yeah, high floor, low ceiling um, brands. And that, that's what I've kind of, what we've kind of learned across in it. And via my audience has learned as well is there's a lot of people who are understanding that, yeah, that number one option, there's nowhere to go but down. And, that, and that's scary for a lot of investors, right? Of there's more opportunity for maybe a falling off than there is for growth opportunities. So what's that healthy balance of, hey, if I'm there and you're consistent, and I think then, the brand I always think about is the number one pillow brand, right? Of, hey, it's been there, has 30,000, 300,000 reviews or something crazy like that, which again is another, how many reviews is too many reviews? Let, let, that's a different episode it's for a different, different conversation, time. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many is how, too many? How do you get all those reviews? Amazon. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. And uh, at what juncture do I, do I feel confident that that has a good user base and customer base? But anyways, um, when you're the best pillow and Amazon and you're yeah. there for five straight years. Um, notoriously, obviously there's besides selling more units, there's not a lot of places for growth besides off channel, like you mentioned. So with that being said, I know off channel is a lot of focus for a lot of different companies going into 2022. Is it, is it scary to think that moving a brand off of Amazon or to put more money and effort into like a DTC or a, a marketplace that's not as not as uh, structured or more as uh, mature as like a Walmart, is that inherently risky or kind of frustrating to kind of like navigate through the waters and understand like what the buyer dynamic is and not really get the persona like an Amazon where you have data and you have access to all that, that kind of buyer capacity. Is it a little bit more challenging to navigate those waters? It's absolutely more challenging, but the future is omni-channel, right? You you cannot only be selling on on one marketplace in one region uh it's just not sufficient and i and i would argue that that is that alone is probably riskier right we we know how some of the marketplaces act in terms of suspensions and shutdowns and competitors and everything you know that's competitive and i'm sorry that's risky in its own way to have all your eggs kind of in one basket you know from our perspective i, I touched on but Growth is super important, right? So we have a team that focuses on off Amazon marketplaces, exploring those and, and which ones are good for which brands, because frankly, not everyone is good for each brand um, and vice versa. And then also D2C, uh, which brands are good for D2C, which ones already have a presence on D2C, which ones should we launch a presence on D2C, 
you know, do you, does it come with a list? Do we have the traffic? Does it have an Instagram following? Like all these things to cultivate the, the community and the personas like you're talking about, you know, while it might not be as a, you know, obvious and clear cut on Amazon, um, off Amazon as it is on Amazon, there's a, I would say two things. One, I think Walmart's a bit of the wild, wild west, like Amazon was maybe five, six years ago. There's, they, they want more sellers. They want more buyers. Um, so they're, they're willing to play with sellers. And then D to C is like, you have much more control. You own the seller, right. And, and you own the experience, uh, and you own more of your money, right. Typically in terms of, you know, not paying all those fees. But again, it's like, you don't want to cut off that the head, the, the hand that feeds you, right. Like Amazon is, is the guy in, or person in this position that, has allowed you to get to this pace, you're not going to be able to get generate traffic like Amazon can provide to you, you know, 95% of the time. Um, so while I say, you know, it, it may be risky to have all your eggs in one basket, you know, I think it's probably less risky to diversify, uh, to have, you know, an international presence. And I, I think I'm biased on that. Um, but then to also have uh, the D2C, the Walmart, the eBay, you know, e even retail right? Like certain products that we acquire, they, you know, they're consumer goods, uh, whether it's the exact version of it that sits on a shelf in Target or on Target.com or in Walmart. Um, you know, a lot of the products that, that we acquire are, are shelf worthy as well. So, you know, those are part of the longer term growth strategies. But, you know, in 2022, we're, we're making significant headway in, into all of them. Which is super exciting for the space. I think, you know, as, as businesses continue to grow, I think that's just the natural evolution of it, which is really cool and exciting. Um, Chris actually had a couple of questions. I know they're a little bit more specific. So uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and plug you. Chris, yeah, I would go ahead and just connect with TJ too. And we'll make sure you guys email and how to connect with him off this. But just for if this makes sense for you, TJ, if it's not too in depth, are you buying companies with massive, you know, and this is from LinkedIn. So if you're having a question or have a question for TJ or myself, feel free to submit in the comment section. Chris asks, are you buying companies that have massive unit turnover because of increased shipping costs uh, from China as, as to fill full containers as well? And then he mentioned another comment, what logistic network do you have off of Amazon USA? So again, two different questions, both in the logistics world. Maybe let's touch on that, TJ, of trying to figure out, just like everyone else, aggregators and companies like yours, not so very different than uh, a one or two person unit shop of, you still have to figure out how to get your goods into ports, into warehousing, FBA facilities, FBM warehousing, things like that. How does that change what happened in 2021 and already happening in 2022, does that change the strategy of your businesses of, hey, maybe we do acquire uh, companies that come with warehouses or um, have more reliance on third-party warehousing so we can get units in uh, via FBA and not have to rely on FBA as much and so on and so forth. Or maybe just sourcing logistics is now in uh, South America or Mexico or something a little bit more close but not as initially cost effective is has that changed more the dynamic of the shipping and logistics strategy so what i would say is, is yes to all the above right i think you, you hit on you hit on a lot I'm of just gonna put was, this on the silver plate for you <laughs> i was just gonna say right so from uh from the first question are you buying companies that have massive unit turnover i i, I think 
unit turnover does not necessarily matter to us. What we focus on more are the margins, right? So, you know, how is this business performing and how are the margins over time? You know, obviously freight costs increased and, and you want to fill your container. Um, so you get, you know, the most effectiveness out of the space um, and the dollar amount, but it really depends on on the per business basis. So, so happy to connect offline on that, right? If you fill a container with a big product and, and or you don't have enough space because your product or if you have too much space because your product is small, it really depends on what the margin is that and, and how that affects your, your overall business. Um, in terms of the logistics network, um, oh, just to touch on that, um, the sourcing front. So yeah, we have a, a whole sourcing team um, that's already uh, made headway in, elsewhere in, in the world, uh, in India, in Vietnam, um, and, and somewhat in Latin South America, just you know, keeping every option open. And I think the place that people forget most about is the United States, right? There's, right, I was gonna ask about that. There is you know, definitely opportunity here. There's certain products, there's certain businesses that people wanna buy made in the US, right? They don't wanna buy a version made internationally. Um, Yes, with that, you typically have to charge higher, but most people believe that as a consumer, I'll pay more because it's made in the US, it'll get to me sooner, it'll be higher quality, whatever the, the excuses may be. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, again, that comes back to margin, right? Like if it costs you two more dollars to make per unit, but you can get your orders done like that and you're not paying the, the container fee to come to from the from China to California, and then you're also be able to get inventory a lot quicker, so you're not waiting to to refill FBA or your 3PL. You know, is that worth it to you? Like the opportunity cost, you you're going to be selling more because you have it on your shelf and you're not stocked out. You're paying two more dollars per unit, but does that is that offset by the container cost? So again, every business is different, every situation is different, but it's all things that every business today should explore what their options are. Obviously, there's certain things that it just doesn't make sense to be made in the U.S. versus China, but also, you know, Mexico and Central America have incredible capabilities on the production side um, and should be competing with China in the, in the coming years. Maybe not at the scale that China is, but if you can find a, a niche uh, supplier that works with you, you know, they don't need to uh, put it on a shipping container or get it across the sea. They could they can drive it up the border as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, that, that's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I was going to say, I think, I think one of the, the cooler things is just knowing the options available. I think right. um, just being able to come to the table and say, this is where my costs are. And again, that's part of the partnership network world of that you and I live in is, Hey, maybe there is a company that can help you f uh, facilitate uh, that, that same product or consumption or the, just produce those products at a cheap or maybe a little bit more expensive cost but then again you don't have to worry about the the time zone differentiating the the language differentiating the um you know the time aspect of everything so th there's a lot of pros and cons to it and which is going to be more useful for you not having uh the cost up front or is and you have that ability to cover that um but you just don't have the the choice to um basically let your product stock out that's that's almost more like sh torpedoing your 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 yacht if you will and letting it sink exactly and that's the worst case scenario for for any business if they're going to exit or just be profitable in that notion out of stock worst case scenario do not let that happen however you well, have right to, and work stocking backwards. out is like 
the worst thing that can happen to you aside from a listing being things down, but stocking out because you've just spent how much money on PPC to get the rank, to get the positioning, to get up the page, maybe to get the buy box. And it's like you stock out, you're down the bottom, right? And you're going to fall pretty fast. Um, so exploring all your, your options, you know, like I said, LATAM and Mexico definitely have the capabilities. And um, I think Tim Jordan and, and Amy Weiss are, are doing a, a they're going there. I think they're going down. Yeah. That's what Amy yeah, said so last episode. She's a big sourcing be trip. Yeah. So another plug for, for their trip. Like <laughs> that's, that's really interesting stuff, right? That's, you know, people have done trips to China and now it's like, okay, cool. What else is there? Um, and you know, I, I'm excited to see what, what comes from that. Absolutely. Um, as we're wrapping up kind of this episode, TJ, you're, you delve in a lot of international and, um, you know, just kind of looking at a bigger picture of e-commerce at scale. Uh, what's exciting for you in 2022? And then maybe obviously what Elevate and then kind of tie that into like what Elevate's going to be doing and focused on here in the early days and months of 2022. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, from my perspective, like I still get really excited that we have the ability to change sellers' lives, right? Uh, I think back to 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18 even, and like these sellers really just thought they were gonna have to, not have to, but could just run these businesses in, in perpetuity and make you know a good chunk of change on a monthly basis and they have it as their side gig or even their full-time gut job. Um, but now they have the opportunity to make sort of life-changing money and, and generational money, right? If you're paying out $20 million, that's probably $19 million than you ever thought you'd, you'd end up with, right? So that part still makes me or gets me really excited. And, you know, that's personally, but then also from an Elevate perspective, like, you know, empowering sellers to, to take control over their lives. Like they definitely started this journey on Amazon to do just that. You hear so many stories of, I was stuck in my nine to five, <clears throat> hated it, started this on the side. Now it's this, now it's that. Um, and the thing is, like, if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, it doesn't go anywhere. You sell your business and guess what? You can do it again or you can go do something else. Like we have so many people that uh, tell us like when when they do sell their business, like we're going to we're going to start again. We're going to build a new business and bought <clears throat> two businesses from the same guy already. And he's building another business. Right. Um, and now it's kind of that term, which is build to sell, uh, which is a whole new genre of, of businesses. But it's it's a bit more optimized, you know, more focused business that's built exactly for how the aggregator wants it rather than building it for five years, you build it for a year and a half, two years. And then sense. just, yeah. And then just, you know, from an aggregator perspective, like, like I said, we're, we're looking to, to raise more money. We're looking to make bigger differences and not only take this business from where it is today, from, you know, 30 something brands and say, we want a hundred brands but more so focusing on the growth of those brands, right? We have a sort of 2030 vision, which I guess would be seven years post today or eight years. Um, and like we want to elevate brands product in, in every household in America, right? Um, which I think is very achievable. Um, and, and it's something about doing things <clears throat> the right way with the right people, with the right entrepreneurs. Like the one thing that I say often is, nobody knows these businesses better than these sellers themselves or the brand owners themselves. A lot of times it's a, an idea they thought of. And a lot of times it's an idea that they found that they fell in love with, that they 
made their passion and made their product or made their business. You know, there's always that, that argument of, do I have a business or do I have a product? And the ones with the businesses have sort of evolved, taken that single product and built it into something more. Um, and that's what we're really looking to do is to take this conglomerate of businesses and build it into something bigger. Does Elevate ever think about, or do you know if that, and again, you can tell me to go fly a kite if you, if you don't want to answer this. Do you guys ever consider building out your own in-house brands or is that, is that welcome um, in, in the culture there? Is, is it, if someone has an idea and obviously you want to operate and do that, if it's not competing with another brand that you guys are operating, is that, is that welcome within the company or is that expected to happen? Well, I think a little bit on the, the brand manager side, some of the ones, so, you know, we have people that have sold businesses to us, like I said, that, that work for us. We've also have people that sold businesses to other aggregators that now work for us. Um, so, you know, from there, they're like experts in this, they know what they're doing. So they're operating our brands, but they're also potentially launching their own brands. And, you know, it's something that comes up to us often, the question of why are you paying $10 million for a brand, why don't you just acquire a brand? And it's like, oh, so why don't you just start a brand? And it's like, well, even if I put $10 million in it, is that the best use of the $10 million, right? The first sort of six months getting things going, the product sourcing, the logistics, getting into America, and then the initial ranking, like that's the hard part. The scaling from there is typically easy. The, the creating variations, once you already have the engine going, is not as hard as the initial part. If the initial part was easy and you could just throw cash at it, like everyone in the world would be doing it. Yeah, you'd be an incubator. You wouldn't be a you wouldn't be yeah. an aggregator. You'd be an incubator. Exactly. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think um, the time equity that you're paying for that's that's what ultimately what it comes to is you have to sift through the data. You have to you can't go down go down every dark rabbit hole exactly. yourselves. That's just impossible and not a good use of time. But when people do that for you, they're working on their own behalf. Again, they're probably reinvesting into their business. They're they're doing all those things for you. You're just paying for that time equity over the past two. 12 months to, I'm going to say probably six years is probably the upper end of what you're dealing with. I don't know many people pass that six year mark, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's super fascinating um, in that world and continue to hear stories of really cool entrepreneur journeys of how they got to where they are and, and exiting. Um, but Elevate, in the last two minutes, what do you guys, what's what's next on the docket? You guys are sponsoring lots of stuff. Um, what's What's coming up on the slate where people can reach out and engage with you guys yeah so we will be on the online seller cruise uh with carlos alvarez uh, at the beginning of february uh we'll be at um toma rabinovich's event and the end of february which is in uh bulgaria uh, so i'll be in i'll be in bulgaria for the first Look time ever um, but then of course we'll be at prosper yeah uh, so we'll, we'll have a, a large presence there and you know we're making some cool announcements in the next, hopefully, two weeks. Um, mm. So I'm going to tease that here, and I'm not going to say what it is, although I'm so excited about it. Um, so in about, hopefully, two to three weeks, we'll be making an announcement. Um, and then, you know, a bunch of other cool stuff leading up to Prosper and, and beyond, right? So. We're going to see an Elevate event here um, this year that you're going to have to plan and uh, build out yourself. Um, that's why I love <laughs> Partners. Right, I love partners. <laughs> Other people partners do it. Partners can arrange, and and I'll join, and we'll bring a, we'll bring our sellers and and some money. <laughs> God bless the people who run events. That's all I have to say. I'm, I'm I'd rather attend and uh, sponsor than 
have to conceptualize from the beginning, but no, that that's really yeah. exciting. I know you guys are, are your logo is tied to a lot of things. So the marketing team props to you, if you're listening to this over at Elevate and uh, I've watched, like I said, from the beginning of the show, I've watched recon brands become Elevate brands and, yeah. and see all the cool things I've, have come from this, but it's kind of watching recon become Elevate and then watch everything kind of follow along. So you guys, one of the leaders in the space, I think very highly thought of in that regards too. And um, I can't wait to see and work with you guys continuing in the future and uh, seeing really cool stuff and helping entrepreneurs um, get to their eventual exit. So that's really cool. TJ, how can people get in touch with you if, uh, if there's a way that they have questions or if they want to engage or talk about cool business ideas that they have? How can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. On LinkedIn, uh, if you're watching it there, um, I would say Facebook, but I can't access my Facebook because I set two-factor authorization, can't log in. So email is probably the best, which is just tj at elevatebrands.com. Gotcha. Perfect. And we'll make sure that's tied. And obviously all of his uh, profile for LinkedIn is tied in the show notes here as well. TJ, thank you so much for hopping on today. I'm super excited to see what Elevate does in 2022. And uh, congrats on all the the recent uh, announcements of more hirings, more acquisitions, things like that. So congrats and keep up the good work. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, TJ. And again, thank you everyone who is listening and watching us live on Crossover Commerce. If you're listening to us, thank you for uh, tuning in just a little bit uh, from my corner of the internet uh, to where you might be listening to us again on Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, wherever you might be listening to Amazon Music. Um, this is where our podcast lives. We've had 202 episodes now of great content. You can go all the way back if you just go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast to list past guests, as well as the evolution of different topics, anything from sourcing logistics to marketing and advertising. My goal is to help you understand uh, the topic and get your questions answered. That's what every episode's about. So that being said, Thank you so much, TJ and Elevate Brands. You can go and check them out again in their social links below. If you have questions, go ahead and reach out to them directly through that. Uh, again, connecting people is what we do best and what I do best on this podcast. But if you have other questions, make sure you just or want to learn more about the podcast, go and just follow us on social media to make sure you're notified of future episodes. Having said, we do have a couple of ones that I want to go ahead and quickly announce. Tomorrow, we'll be going live with... Uh, Karina uh, from Ecom Nurse. We're going to be talking about the importance of building a brand on Amazon. And then on Friday, we have the one and only Tyler Jeffco uh, back on the show, friend of the show, getting ready to properly file your taxes. Something that didn't think I would ever talk about on this podcast, but you know what? You as an entrepreneur have been asking for it. We're going to be helping you understand how to prep your business for filing taxes. Super important, especially when exiting your business like we talked about today. Make sure numbers are clean. They're aligning properly as well. But that being said, this is Crossover Commerce episode 202. Thanks for joining my corner of the internet. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.